I will try to tell you, well, not exactly what will happen next, but how things happen next. Coming to you from the many worlds of the multiverse. It's the podcast that's never the same twice, and always two things at once. This is Burning Man Live. Welcome to episode two of Burning Man Live, recorded in the swirling ether of the internet. I'm Stuart Mangrum. Today we're going to be talking about the temples of Burning Man. Now, if you've been to a Burning Man event, you probably already know what that means. But if you haven't, the word temple can be a little off-putting. Let's just say it shows up with some pretty heavy religious baggage. It's from the Latin templum, an open or consecrated space, and the standard definition is, quote, a building devoted to the worship or regarded as the dwelling place of a god or gods, end quote. Which, frankly, makes Burning Man sound like some kind of crazy religion, which it is absolutely not, or at least, at least for most people, or at least not meant to be. So what does temple mean in the context of Burning Man, a secular culture based on humanist principles, where ritual is used as a vector for culture not as a way to show our obedience to some higher power. When the first temple was built in Black Rock City back in 2000, it was just meant to be a piece of interactive sculpture, the Temple of the Mind, built by David Best and Jack Hay from intricate pieces of scrap wood, the leftovers from a laser-cutting fabrication process. It was never intended to be a sacred space or to have some sort of deep spiritual significance. But when their friend and crew member Michael Heflin was killed in a motorcycle accident shortly before the event, it was transformed into something of a shrine to their lost friend, more of a columbarium or mausoleum than a temple in the classic sense. In fact, when they came back the next year and built another one, the Temple of Tears, it was actually referred to alternately as the mausoleum. And it quickly became more than a tribute to one lost soul, but instead a place for the entire community to come together and remember their fallen, to grieve and to celebrate, a place of, of reflection and forgiveness and release, a place of sanctuary. Every year since, there's been a temple in Black Rock City, and many of the Burning Man regional events around the world have adopted the tradition as well. In BRC, it sits at the end of a horizontal axis that runs through the very center of the city, out past the Burning Man itself at the end of the promenade. It stands at a threshold of sorts, where the orderly structure of the city gives way to the chaos of deep playa and the surrounding beauty of the natural world. By the end of the event week, every square inch of it is covered in photos, mementos, letters and notes of all kinds, memories and tears and hopes and dreams. And then on Sunday night, it's burned to the ground releasing all that energy up into the sky in a pillar of fire. Unlike the burning of the man on Saturday night, with its raucous party vibe and cacophony of music and voices, the temple burn is always a solemn and silent affair. And when it's over, we reset our psychic odometers to zero and turn our thoughts again to next year in Black Rock City. Back in the early 90s, when we were first talking about declaring ourselves a city, half as a joke, we talked a lot about what it would mean to really be a city. What were the absolute essentials, the, the minimum viable product? Larry Harvey famously boiled it down to three things, coffee, a newspaper, and toilets. 
we knew there were things we didn't want in our city, like a shopping district or concession stands. But it never occurred to any of us that we would need a space like the temple. It just never crossed our minds, probably because we were young and invincible and hadn't yet developed a proper regard for death. But now that we have it, no one can imagine the city without it. It's become deep-set in our collective psychogeography, as permanent as anything can be in our city of impermanence. As David Best has said of that first temple, if he didn't build it, someone would have had to. Larry Harvey's last burn was in 2017, and the theme he developed for that year's event was Radical Ritual. Now, he made a call that year for temples to be built everywhere in Black Rock City, not just the capital T temple, but lots of small T temples. The Romanian scholar Mircea Eliade points out in his classic work, The Sacred and the Profane, that the axis mundi, the point of connection between this world and the great beyond, can be literally anywhere we say it is. Larry was also influenced by his travels in Asia, where small shrines, stupas, and torii gates dot the landscape, providing convenient access to the unseen worlds, and from there to here. The Burning Man that year was built inside a structure for the first time, called the Temple of the Golden Spike, honoring the builders of the city and incorporating many of the elements we associate with a sacred space. Did I mention that Burning Man is not a religion? And Larry was by no means a religious man. But as Eliade put it, to whatever degree he may have desacralized the world, the man who has made his choice in favor of a profane life never succeeds in completely doing away with religious behavior. Coming up, we're going to talk to some of the architects and builders of the temples of Burning Man, why and how they do what they do, what it means to them, and the impossible mechanics of building a huge structure with such a huge purpose in the middle of nowhere and then burning it. But first, let's spend a moment with our sponsor. Here at Burning Man Live, we're always looking for advertisers that will really offer something to you, our listeners. And this week, we're thrilled to be able to offer you a free gift, because this week, we're sponsored by gifting. That's right, you can have gifting as a free gift, no strings attached, just by giving something to someone. It's that simple. Act now. We love gifting. We, we use it all the time around here. Just before the show, I gave Stuart an electronic bear that speaks German profanity when you press his stomach. We laughed. It was so profane. That's how into gifting we are. But don't stop there, because if you go to our website and enter the promo code, you don't need a promo code. That's you don't need a promo code. Then for no additional cost, you can give someone not just a thing, but an experience. That's right. With our amazing promo code, or without it, whatever, you can go beyond the exchange of objects to give someone a meaningful experience, and it doesn't have to cost anything. It's all detailed here in our gifting white paper, Think With Your Heart, Not With Your Wallet, which you don't have to sign up for because it's a gift. It's not really a gift if someone demands your information. So don't. We are literally giving gifting away, and if you act now, in the next 30 minutes, we'll give you twice the gifting. Literally twice the gifting at no extra charge. Imagine what it would be like to give twice as much. You don't even need to act in the next 30 minutes because it's a gift, so it's unconditional. You do whatever you want, we will give it to you. And we have never felt more connected to you. Thank you. It means a lot. I love you. 
All right. My co-host and producer this week is Dickie Davies, coming in from fabulous Reno, Nevada. How you doing, Dickie? I'm doing pretty fantastic. It's a, it's a gorgeous day here in Reno and pretty excited uh, about today's show. Dickie, before we go any further, I just have to ask you, what is a Dickie box? Uh, Dickie box is, uh, yeah, I'm that Dickie. The Dickie box is an art project that I did with a, a dear friend of mine, Logan Mirto, in the year 2005. You could almost call it a temple of self-isolation uh, as a plexiglass box halfway between the man and the esplanade that I spent an entirety of seven days in contrary to popular belief. I never left. Well, I have a million questions. Most of them have to do with bodily functions. So I'll just gloss over that. And let's talk about the show that we put together here. I got to tell you, when I first learned about the pandemic, actually, when it first sank in with me, just how many people we were going to lose, my first thought was, seriously, we're going to need a bigger temple this year. Then on top of that, when it turned out that we weren't going to be able to produce Black Rock City this year, my first thought was, oh, God, we're going to need an even bigger temple. And where are we going to put it? What were you thinking when you decided to put together a show about temples? I was thinking along the same lines as far as the way that our community and communities around the world were going to be turning to architecture as a setting and as a, as a mode of relief, a way to fill the gap between loss and celebration and ourselves. It's a space that we use differently than any other spaces that we create. And so today, we've got a couple of guests to talk about the 2020, soon to be 2021 Temple Empyrean, as well as Temple artists from the past, the Temple artists who created the 2018 Galaxia Temple. Great. So let's bring on our first guests. All right. Today, we're going to be talking with Renzo Verbeck, a Colorado-based professional builder, architect, contractor, and sculptor with 30 years of experience in these fields, as well as Sylvia Alisi who has worked on large-scale interactive art teams and created her own interactive art at Black Rock City and other regional events. And she recently worked with the Fleming Lotus Girls as a seamstress and welder on Serenity, which was a 2019 honorarium project in Black Rock City, and was also an on-playa build lead with the Temple of Direction last year. Sylvia, Rinso, thanks for joining us today. How are you guys doing? Great. Very well. Thank you. So... I wanted to start with how the two of you ended up working together as temple builders and also just the inspiration behind Empyrean. I'll take that one. <laughs> well, I worked on the night crew for a temple of direction and Renzo ran the day crew and we found that our build styles were complementary. We worked well together, had good communication. Renzo was feeling inspired at the burn to put in a proposal himself. And once he got that idea laid down, he said, hey, I'm curious if you want to work on this project with me. So we sat down and worked on a design, brought it forward. And there was quite a bit of symbiosis that brought us together and brought this temple design forward. It's been great working with Renzo. The inspiration for the temple comes from bringing yourself to a place where you're vulnerable. For me, the eight-pointed star represents a, a hub, a place where you can come and have a divine experience. You can bring yourself as you are and release, renew, get refreshed. I'm curious about both the eight-pointed star, the symbology of that, and the name, Empyrean. The name Empyrean is an ancient cosmological term, and it does mean the realm that exists between the terrestrial plane and the celestial plane. 
It's a place where divinity and humanity can convene. Ancient cosmologists believe that Empyrean was the birthplace of fire. And being burners and trying to find a way to express a release, fire just seems like a wonderful way to process emotions that you're feeling and you want to let go of and transform. And the eight-pointed star comes from Mesopotamian times. It represents the goddess Ishtar. She's a balance of the divine masculine and the divine feminine, a balance of both within ourselves. If we have compassion for how we show up in our lives with the masculine and feminine within ourselves, it brings a sense of peace. It brings a a sense of self-awareness, of self-empowerment. And it's from that place that you can be vulnerable and you can have compassion for the vulnerabilities of others and and how those aspects show up in them. Renzo, I understand that this is a maker temple. Can you talk more about how that came to be and and what that means? I can. And yes. And it's interesting. When Sylvia and I talk about this, we are not always on the same page. We have different views And that actually helps the whole process over and over again. We build on that constantly. We didn't come from the same place. We're not always going to the same place, but we try and harness the energy that we both have to get someplace. I still don't know where that's going to be, but let me go back to the Maker Temple thing. I only been to Burning Man twice and I went 20 years ago and that didn't really count. I showed up late, left early and ran out of water. Never met my friends on Playa. I never saw a familiar face. <laughs> I kind of left with my tail between my legs in the year 2000 because I felt like an imposter. I didn't have any art, and I'm an artist. So I didn't go back for 20 years until getting on the crew for a Temple of Direction. When I was on the crew, I was absolutely enamored by how possessed people were to build. No one ever said, why? Why are you doing this? But they were just running at a a virtually run pace from dawn to dusk for 20 days to get this thing built. Why did you need to get it built? No one ever asked why. And everybody that came by got a hammer and they got a screwdriver and they went to work. That is the essence. That's where Maker Temple came from. I love building. That's all I've ever wanted to do is design and build. And I saw all these nuts out there that were as enthusiastic or even more so than I was about building. They just couldn't wait to get out there in the hot sun and build. So the idea of the Maker Temple came from the concept of getting as many people as involved as possible. It's a celebration of the makers. Something else I noticed out there at Temple of Direction and during Build Week, Build Three Weeks, is that there wasn't really enough work to do for everyone that came by. So lots of people came by and kind of stood on the perimeter and they had this longing look in their eyes, like a little kid on the playground that didn't get to play ball. They wanted so badly to participate. So the Maker Temple came from that energy. How can we get so many people involved? Starting on the middle of August last year, I devised a a concept of basically making the temple a kit of parts and lots of the parts can be basically farmed out and crowdsourced by earners across the country and that way people from across the country can participate in the temple that's the essence of it that's the beginning of it wow that that sounds amazing it reminds me a little bit of temple of flux 
involved a lot of participants build as well. But this sounds much more distributed. I got to ask, that at once seems both suited to the COVID pandemic with people being in distributed locations. And also, I, I know that your plans have to have been radically changed by what's happening in the world. How, what's that impact look like for you guys? You know, what's funny is it hasn't, it, all it's done is allowed us more time for me to come up with more zany ideas and Sylvia and I to try and figure them out. Initially, there was a conceptual idea along a linear path, which was feminine energy water. Over that path was eight canopies that laid over the path and the canopies created a shelter. And within each canopy, there was an altar. Unlike past temples, this initial concept proposed eight altars. We wanted to get as many as eight different teams, builders, makers from around the country to build altars and put them in these sheltering canopies along this curvilinear path of feminine energy. There's many components to maker temples. There's the eight different altars, and there's also the canopies are devised of geometric patterns. And we figured out how to create all those patterns on the canopies, breaking them down to four by eight foot panels. And those panels hopefully will be shopped out in a crowdsourced way, all 800 of them, to builders across the country. That was the plan when actually we put the application in, and that's still the plan now. We just have more time to figure it out. It would have been a heck of a rush if we had actually tried to build it this year. Yeah, it's weird to think that uh, there's a bit of a, a silver lining to this situation where you have a little bit more time to actually get more people involved. Is there a place that people can go to get more information, or is that something that's still evolving at this time? It's still evolving. We have developed very clear instructions, blueprints, and written description on how to create these panels. We actually had someone introduce it for us at a theme camp symposium and present the idea to 700 theme camps, and that was well-received. The idea is that the theme camps, because they come onto Playa early during build week, could bring the panels onto Playa when they bring their equipment in. To answer your question more clearly, Dickie, we don't have it. It's not ready for public consumption yet. It's not quite honed. That's totally fair. It's really exciting to think about. The energy around Build Week is just so electric. And the idea of people being able to come out and deliver their portion of the temple sounds really special. And potentially even constructing panels on site and yeah. having something to do. I've definitely stood on the sidelines yeah. and wanted to get involved. Sylvia, can you expand on that a little? Yeah, we're excited that people can build part of the temple in their community. So if they can't make it to 2021, they still can go to a piece of the temple in their community and write their name, write their message, get their offering, and someone can bring it to us. Once the pieces all come together, it's essentially a quilt made by the community. Very cool. I'd like to shift gears just a little bit. Here we are in 2020, and we've talked about a virtual Black Rock City and the possibility of sharing the experience or bringing the, the key components of the Black Rock City experience into a virtual existence. Can you guys share anything about what you might be planning or any possibility around sharing Empyrean in a digital form? And additionally, how does a digital temple hold space in a similar way to the physical space that a temple commands out at Black Rock City? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a tricky, tricky situation, but burners love a challenge. So 
the temple is unique in that it facilitates an emotional experience. And how do you replicate that in a digital world? Um, we're also very conscious about being as inclusive as possible. So we've chosen an independent software developer. Um, his name is Jeremy Rausch. And he's been developing his own software for 40 years. It's like SketchUp in that you can share and create in it. It also has a high device agnosticism, which means that you can use your VR tool for spatial freedom experience to move around and touch things. You can also have an interactive visual and sound journey just with your phone. We will have a fully developed temple on that software by August 30th. We're sticking to the Burning Man deadline. Our hope is to release it on Sunday morning at sunrise. We are working hard to create a personal interactive journey by ha having offerings. We have so many ideas swirling around that, and we're, we are loving thinking about how people can give and have a wedding or have a performance. We're talking with performance troops about hosting a performance in our temple. So there's also, we're planning Easter eggs for those of you who are VR savvy, which means that there are secret teleports in our temple and curiosity will be rewarded. So check every door handle, check every weird thing, go figure it out because it could send you to a pretty magical place. And just as a shout out, we are looking for visual effects and or programmers to help us out with that. In the spirit of a multiverse, we have shared our 3D model with also a man named Fariar. And he's building an interactive immersive reality that's unbelievably realistic. And our temple looks incredible. And that has the potential for hosting the entire burn, which is surprising. We have also shared our temple with a regional burn, the remote burn. If you want a really rough experience of our temple, you can visit it at Black Rock City in Alt Space, and you can watch the sunrise from the temple there. So we share that now. It's very rough, just a, a light preview of what's coming, just to inspire other artists to bring their art to virtual reality, because we want to see you there, and we want to see your art, and we want to play with you. We're inviting essentially every artist to participate in the immersive reality, and the technology for that is amazing. Any artist that wants their art in our program, we encourage you to contact us. We'll get you in touch with the computer designers, the immersive reality designers. I really love how the theme of multiverse is coming full circle in that this temple is not going to live in one single place and you're not going to have to wait until 2021 to experience Empyrean, yeah. but that it's living all these different lives and creating space for people to be able to connect and find that space of vulnerability. I'm curious, though, I think you sort of answered it. How do you guys view the relevance of location? How, how reliant are temples on location? Do you know, factors of permanence and impermanence change the approach to the choices that you make in designing for the physical versus the digital? It's still just a place. It, it's a place where people gather, and where that place is doesn't matter. The Black Rock Desert is really special. But what makes temple is the people who go there. So it could be any place. That's one way we've been looking at it. Um, All temples are virtual. None of them exist anymore. So right. really, in a sense, a virtual temple is just another virtual temple. I would like to share that twice today I got separate messages. One from 
a solo person who visited the temple and one from some programmers who had never been to Burning Man. They visited the temple and they all had a very emotional experience, enough so that they sent a message to say, this is, this is working. So. I'd like to take a quick pause and bring another voice into the mix here to think about some of what Rinzo was just talking about, how temples can be kind of anywhere. They, they don't exist in the same plane and, and how things are shifting, especially now. Let's go ahead and bring in Arthur Mamou Mani. Arthur is a London-based French architect and director of Mamou Mani Architects, which specializes in digitally designed and fabricated architecture. He's also a professor at the University of Westminster and was the temple builder for Galaxia in Black Rock City in 2018. Arthur, thank you for joining us. It must be pretty late in, in London right now. <laughs> thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here and to meet uh, Sylvia. We had a chance to talk a little bit before. And, and Renzo, very nice to meet you, Stuart. It's about 12.30 here in London, but... Uh, uh, I had a coffee and uh, I'm pretty awake now. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us and potentially keeping yourself awake all evening <laughs> with that <laughs> cup of coffee. I'd like to open it up to the entire group. If you guys could speak to the challenges of creating architecture that functions not only in a civic manner, but also as a connective tissue for spiritual connection, for vulnerability, for celebration. And, and Arthur, maybe you can also just tell us a, a little bit about Catharsis, which is a project that you were planning to bring to Black Rock City in 2020. Well, I want to jump in just real quickly and sure. say to Arthur, thank you very much for Galaxia, because it was a great inspiration for Empyrean. And it was a beautiful building. I just want you to know that it was very inspirational to us. Thank you. It's a real, uh, it's very humbling because it was such a journey, as I'm sure you know. It's so hard to build, <laughs> build a temple. So I was telling Sylvia, it's something. It's an it's an adventure that still sort of unfolds over time, even though it's been two years. Every day there's something new that I'm like, oh wow, that happened. Oh yeah, and then it's <laughs> like you had digested over the years. Yeah, I, I definitely understand. It's been 15 years since I've made art out there, and every day I'm like, oh, right, that happened. That was, <laughs> you can look forward to many years of that happening to you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Catharsis, the, the project that you were planning to bring to Black Rock City in 2020 and where it's at and what it yeah. is? Yeah. After building uh, Galaxia, after burning it, let's just say that I, there was a lot of thinking, like if I were to ever come back after something like this, what did I learn and what do I want to offer as an architect or as a, as you say, I'm a teacher at University of Westminster. So I've been studying the master plan and the ideas, the principles behind Burning Man. I thought it would be interesting to have a space that offers another kind of place where we can do offerings and place things and engage with the community, not necessarily around the idea of mourning, but uh, on the idea of creativity, on the idea of actually sharing art. There was a beautiful article in the, in the Burning Man Journal, which was about small art and how Burning Man is full of people placing things everywhere. And it's not necessarily about the big art. And I thought it'd be nice to have a space a little bit like Galaxia. Galaxia was a bit like a sponge of emotion. It was a very thin lattice. All the elements were equally structural and people came and Put all kinds of stuff in there and I thought oh, it's really beautiful but they, obviously a temple is for in this case was very much about mourning and I, I got married in there so I also thought it was going to be about joy and so on. I thought it would be really nice to have an amphitheater for performances of all kinds 
And because it's Burning Man, you don't really have spectators and performer. I thought maybe as a fractal, you could make everyone the performers. So if it's an amphitheater that is made of amphitheaters, an infinity of them, then we'd offer this possibility to turn everyone into this performer or artist. I really like that idea because it happens out at Burning Man so often where you can be in a one-on-one conversation that's really powerful and poignant, and then it can grow a little bit to a slightly bigger space of maybe a common area in a camp. And then it grows just a little bit more when you step out onto the street and more people become involved. Then you step out onto the open playa, which is like a massive amphitheater with many performers performing all at the same time. I was really curious because the title of the piece is Catharsis, which could very easily function as a temple name. Could Catharsis function as a temple if it wasn't placed inside the city? How does that relationship play into all of your thinking about where you're at in a city? and the function that the structure ends up serving? Well, that's really uh, an interesting question. And honestly, I think it couldn't necessarily work as a temple because it was meant to celebrate the city side of Burning Man. So the beautiful master plan of Rod Gareth was kind of oriented around the art, which means that often we forget about the city itself. I always thought it was really interesting to see how creative the citizens were in terms of using energy. And I always told my students that it's not necessarily just about the art, but they should observe what happens inside the camps and how people get rid of their gray water, how they think of sun, solar, everything. So I thought it'd be nice to have a piece uh, next to center camp that was more an activator for the city and for observing the innovations happening. I'm curious. I want to know the why. You guys must have known going into this that this is a monumental undertaking. Past temple projects have been fraught with struggle. It's a hostile environment. Why? What was it that that motivated you to want to build a temple in the first place? It's a ridiculous proposition to to build (laughs) a temple in the desert. It's just silly. But the energy behind it is so wonderful. There's a number of different reasons. For me, anyway. I like to build. I like architecture. I like monumental architecture. I like to create sculptures. The idea of getting so many people participating on the same thing collectively to see what might happen artistically was perhaps the biggest draw for me. I had a personal experience in the 2008 temple. It was my first burn that transformed my life. It transformed my grief and helped me learn how to make it into gratitude To live my life through that gratitude has brought me many magical experiences and deeper connections in my life. I felt compelled to make sure that I can facilitate those spaces for other people. And it was actually Arthur's Temple, because it was such a community build that made me believe that I could be a temple builder too. It lit up that voice in my heart, and um, here I am now. And what about you, Arthur? Uh, What got you into it, and would you do it again, having had the experience that you had with Galaxia? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. At the time, I would have probably said this something different, something maybe more uh, like an architect wanting to build it. But now I realize after having done it and having worked with so many people and them having shared their vulnerability, like you said, Sylvia. And then I, I just remembered that I had a deep depression when I was um, 18, 19 years old. And it really took me to a place between life and death. I never truly thought about it. You know, you move on, you go and study architecture and you're just like, 
yeah, whatever. It's, uh, it's something that I healed. When I went to the temple, 2013, I think, great Fleischmann's pyramids, beautiful. I, I went in by myself. I didn't know what this was. I just look around and then I see a picture of a baby and then I realize that baby died and then I see people crying around me and then I just burst into tears. And I was just like, whoa, what is this? Uh, how can I feel like this? I'm not religious. I didn't even think this was possible. And I think that overwhelmingness of emotion and disconnection with other people that are sharing an emotion, a sadness, a collective thing, it's just stayed somewhere very, very deep. And so I thought, can someone else feel this way? And can we build something that celebrates that feeling? And that's why I wanted to do Galaxia. This is so fascinating. And I know that I could go on forever with this group. But we've got some questions coming in from our studio audience. And what I'd like to do now is to turn to a couple of those. Renzo and Sylvia, well, you've worked on temples in the past and are going to have to deal with this when Empyrean comes into its physical form in Blackrock City. And Arthur, you've been through this. How much of your heart breaks when you see this endeavor of love and endeavor of building reduced to ash? <laughs> you know, both Arthur and Sylvia just talked about their emotional experience at Temple. And honestly, when I was at Temple last year, I spent almost no time there during open temple, only building it. Because I went in there and I saw people grieving and I saw this man hold up a picture of his father that he wanted to let go of. And uh, I couldn't handle it, so I left, to be quite honest. <laughs> so I don't know if I can handle watching that thing burn. I don't know if I can. Thanks for that, Renzo. I know... For me, at least, it, it takes a lot of emotional strength just to walk into that building, much less to watch it burn. So, yeah, thanks. So a question came in. This one's from Stephen Raspa, which is, how much of the impermanence of the temple is magnified by the moment that we're living in right now? And how might the temple as a creative, social, and even spiritual act help people through this challenging time? It's a really big question, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> just a... Well, um, I, I can talk about it from the virtual point of view. I've been approached by people who have said, well, will you make your virtual temple permanent? And I, I, I'm resistant to that because I myself, having seen 10 temples burn, feel the catharsis of it burning. And I think the impermanence is part of the letting go. To have this massive shift in our humanity, in the way that we live, in the way that we interact with each other, in the soul journey we're each being asked to do right now, I, I think that our response is building as many temples as we possibly can is the right answer. If we have some that are permanent, we have some that are impermanent, then everybody will get what they're looking for. I think that's about as far as I can answer that at this point. Anybody else want to go from here? <laughs> no, there, there's, there's something deeply, I guess catharsis is a good word for it, about letting go and letting go together as well. I think if after what happened, we were all confined in our place, in our home and by ourselves, and so we couldn't really 
process this very collectively. And I, I think this year and next year will be very much about that, knowing why we're out and why we're together. I think that the temple will have a special significance for that. So, uh, on the question on burning, I can say that it's quite a relief, even as an architect and as a builder, you know, <laughs> shoot up and, <laughs> and that you don't have to deal with <laughs> more construction, more fundraising and so on. <laughs> I mean, there is a real relief one. So we know these are designed to be burned, right? It's designed with a burn in mind. It's part of a journey that starts way before building on Playa and ends way long after. Actually, I don't think it ever ends, really. <laughs> well, we have a good question about that. What about continuing after this? You guys bring together this massive crew. Arthur, you had so many people contributing to Galaxia. Do you stay bonded with those people going forward? How do you maintain those relationships that you built up in that crucible of building? And Lawrence and Sylvia, do you have hopes of doing the same thing? You know what's amazing when you get to have the honor to build a temple is there is an entire temple crew that <laughs> shows up and says, hey guys, and then you have the temple guardian that show up and they're like, hey, we're the temple guardian. And it feels like you're part of an institution that already continues to come. And of course, we have the choice to continue with them or not. I know that there is no real institution at Burning Man in a way, but I was just so amazed by the level of commitment of that team and how incredibly bonded everyone was. I feel like you're never really out of it. You know, we are constantly in touch on social media and so on because we're all in different places around the world. It's really created a family. It's really beautiful, the support between all the temple builders. When we spoke to Sylvia the other day, I felt like immediate connection and I want to offer any help I can. If you need more help, of course. Thank you. Thank you. There's always social contracts with people. With your dog, there's a contract of giving food and shelter most primitively. And then with any other person, there's always a contract. There's a hello, there's an opening the door, there's a giving a tip of a person at a restaurant. A lot of social contracts include something significant like money, and that doesn't exist at Burning Man. And so the social contract is to create Burning Man with your Burning Man friends. That is a different kind of bond. It's more durable than a lot of other things. When you put together an art piece and you work on it for months and then you put it on playa and you build and you build and you build and you just give it away for other people to enjoy, there's a wonderful bond with all the people who are involved in that, which is why I want to give it away, and Sylvia and I want to give it away to as many, allow as many people as possible to taste that. I think that's a perfect note to end on. The temple has always been such a gift, and the idea that more and more people in this time that is so unique to our existence are going to be able to contribute to that gift, which is going to give so much in a time that we need that. That's really, really kind of fantastic. At this point, I'm going to turn it back over to Stuart, but I'd like to say thank you guys so much again. Sylvia, Renzo, and Arthur, thanks for taking the time. And <laughs> additionally, thank you for the work that you make, for sharing that work with us and giving us that space to be vulnerable and to explore the idea of connection in a way that is truly unique to anything else that you can experience on the planet. Thank you guys so much. Stuart, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to you. 
Yeah, let me add my appreciation there, both for the work that you're doing and for joining this conversation today. It's been fantastic. Thanks, everyone. That's our show for today. And because we always like to go out with a story. Here's Simon of the Playa with a perspective on, for him, why this all matters. Why do I keep coming back? In 2004, I tried to ride my motorcycle across country again, and I failed miserably again, abandoning my bike somewhere in Ohio. I hitchhiked to Burns, Oregon, and proceeded to wait for two lonely days until I finally got a ride from some Portland burners on the Sunday before a gate opened. I'd been awake for a while, being pretty much terrified of the rattlesnakes that were in the scrub by the sides of the road near Burns. So when I finally landed, I set up my tent in the middle of the night and I fell asleep. The next day, I found myself surrounded by children. I'd actually point down in the middle of Kidsville. I thought, no problem, I have kids, I'll just keep a lid on my filthy mouth and, and smoke my medicine elsewhere. Well, that morning I met some members of a New York City crew. In particular, I met a six-year-old girl. I'm going to call her Lila. Lila had come all the way from New Zealand with her father. And she was tiny and had pigtails and these really large glasses that were like magnifying lenses. And they made her eyes all googly. I remember when I got glasses, when I was very young, I remember looking in the mirror, wondering why my eyes were so big. She explained to me that her and her father had come to Burning Man to say goodbye to her mother, who died in a car crash six months previous. She then showed me a collection of pictures and drawings and notes she had written to her mom, and she told me she was going to send them to heaven by attaching them to the temple so her mom could see them. At that moment, it didn't really affect me. I was still under the influence of the default world. And although secretly I'm terribly sentimental, I, I try not to show it because it's just, it's much easier that way. I had a pretty good week, but with some disappointment because of a relationship that had gone south. And that person involved was there on the playa reminding me of of, of everything that was lost. The night the temple burned, I was alone. It was David Best Temple of Stars, and it was one of the most incredible structures I've ever seen in my entire life. Sitting from a distance, watching, when the temple just exploded in flames, producing what appeared to be floating pieces of fire raining down all around me, only to burn out right before they touched the ground. And it was then that I thought of Lila and her wonderful portfolio of her life. It was now burning and flying around me in the swirling mass of heavenly brimstone. And I knew that her mother was reading her letters right then. I started crying like I hadn't cried in many years. I kept thinking about this little girl and her terrible loss. And yet she played and laughed and continued on with her life. And in that instant, I realized what a shit I could be and how my misanthropic tendencies had been undermining my relationships. Who the fuck am I to bitch about anything at all? 
So Lila taught me to be human again. Not only that, the Burning Man glow carried with me for many months. I actually started to enjoy community and socializing and life in general. I didn't start to get to the default world of heebie-jeebies until, I don't know, way until June, maybe July. And there it is. One of the reasons why I come back every year. Because it's the only thing that gives me my soul back. And it's the only thing that lets me be a person again. Not some screen-fed automaton worrying about his credit card bills. I come back not to hate myself and to not hate others. I come back each year hoping to find Lila so I can thank her for being who she is. So there you go. There's my gift. It's a brief moment of sincerity. Burning Man Live is a production of the Philosophical Center of Burning Man Project. Our executive producer is Daryl Van Ray. Our producers are Andy Grace and Dickie Davies. Our technical producer and chief of human cyborg relations is Michael Vavracek. Our liaison to the digital spirit world is Devin from the internet. Our fire safety officer is Dave X. Our advertising manager is Caveat Magister. And our music director is Jay Knizzle. And our correspondents are you. Send your show ideas, letters, suggestions, and comments to live at burningman.org. And your donations are always appreciated at donate.burningman.org. Thanks, Larry.